Hello and welcome back to Equity, a podcast about the business of startups where we unpack the numbers and the nuance behind the headlines. This is a special Friday shot. It is the afternoon. We are chilling, uh, hanging out in the rain here on the East Coast, actually. But I have uh, the crew with me because we're going to talk about Wall Street and crypto. And so we brought along Natasha Moscarinas. Natasha, long time no chat. Long time no chat. I'm very far from Wall Street, so I'll try my best. <laughs> Fair enough. And uh, in kind of some breaking news for the pod, for the very first time, we have Anita Ramaswamy with us. Anita, say hello. Hi, nice to meet everyone. I'm Anita Ramaswamy. And yeah, I just joined TechCrunch and I'm going to be covering fintech, crypto and some other stuff in that realm. And I'm from Arizona. I used to be in investment banking. So that was sort of my my last job before journalism. Um, used to write a little bit for Business Insider as well on finance. And I'm really excited to be a part of the TechCrunch team. Yay! Anita <laughs> is covering FinTech and crypto for TechCrunch. And so she is the perfect person to bring on today because we're talking a little bit about crypto and essentially what happens when modern crypto companies meet the public markets. And I think the answer that we've learned, guys, kind of at a very high level is that it can be a little bit choppy. So to start things off, uh, Anita, when a company goes public, it likes to have steady earnings growth, you know, steady revenue projections and so forth. It seems that crypto companies aren't quite meeting that. So for folks who aren't familiar, why is kind of revenue growth consistency important? And um, why do investors care about it? Uh, revenue growth consistency is important because expectations matter. I mean, that's sort of what moves the stock price. And I think, you know, when companies sort of say this is what we're going to see next quarter, people set their expectations there, prices move as a result. And in crypto, it's nearly impossible to predict what's going to happen. And there's so much volatility. And so for some of these crypto companies like Coinbase and setting their projections, it becomes a little difficult for them to to meet. And that volatility is tough for investors to keep up with. And and the price as a result is sort of all over the place, as we've seen with Q3 and Coinbase. Alex, I want you to walk us through the highline numbers for Coinbase's latest earnings report, because obviously on the podcast and just like in the general world, Coinbase has a lot of pressure on its shoulders and eyes on it as like the company that's going to make crypto mainstream. So whenever they have earnings, it's actually a big deal, not just for their own riches, but for how early stage startups could like eventually be impacted by um, how bullish investors are. Yeah. So there's two ways to think about Coinbase. One is on a year over year basis, which is kind of how we compare one quarter to its preceding year's uh, comparison. And then also on a sequential quarter basis, which is like from Q2 of this year to Q3. So we're looking at Q3 data from Coinbase. And in the third quarter, they had 1.23 billion in total uh-huh. revenue. So quite a lot. And that was up from a year ago, total of 286.7 million. So an enormous amount of year over year growth, a very impressive result from the company. And yet the stock price went down. Why? Well, it's because Coinbase had net revenues of more than 2 billion in Q2. So on a year over year basis, very, very strong on a sequential quarter basis, relatively weak. And that's why I wanted to bring up the idea of consistent revenue growth, because investors are kind of trained, I would say, to expect recently public companies to have their first couple of quarters mapped out. And Coinbase is doing things all over the map while still being an impressive company, Anita. But I mean, certainly not kind of meeting standard expectations for a post public debut firm. Yeah. And I think it's probably important to talk about how Coinbase makes most of its revenue too, which is from just transaction fees. And so I think transaction volume for different coins is something that's really important. And because we've seen them adding all these different coins to the platform, that adds just another layer of volatility in terms of predicting how their revenue is going to do quarter over quarter. And and thinking about that, what that means is as Coinbase adds coins like 
I don't know, the Shiba Inu coin, for example, that had a crazy kind of run the other day, uh, it can bring a lot of trading activity to the platform. While when those things aren't happening or volatility falls in general, there does seem to be a decline in crypto volumes or crypto trading volumes, which of course, as Anita points out, does impact their ability to drive transaction revenues, which is the vast bulk of where Coinbase makes its money. How worried are both of you about, I guess, the first first level reactions to Coinbase? Like, is this enough to say that the market is chilling? I'm sure crypto enthusiasts, which some of us may be on the show right now, would say that the volatility is built into what they already know. The way that I think about it, I'm thinking about Bitcoin and Ethereum sort of in one bucket and all of the other cryptocurrencies in another bucket, just in terms of people's familiarity with them, as well as prices. So one thing I was thinking is just, you know, Coinbase has added all of these new coins onto the platform. But I would imagine that, you know, some of the transaction volumes are smaller dollar amounts. Like people aren't buying as much of Shiba Inu coin necessarily as they're buying of Bitcoin. And that's also partially because the price is lower. You know, I think those are sort of two separate buckets. And so when you look at Coinbase's earnings as a whole, it's not necessarily a proxy for the crypto market as a whole. So a yes and no to that. I think you make a very good point that Bitcoin and Ethereum are the, the leading coins that are traded on Coinbase. And just for example, in Q3, 42% of the assets on the platform were Bitcoin, for example. So quite a lot of the the, the, the wealth that's on Coinbase are those two main coins. But I, I do think that we've seen certain coins really push things around. Like Dogecoin, for example, was huge earlier this year, not just for Coinbase, but also for Robinhood, which saw its cryptocurrency trading revenues rise stratospherically, really, in kind of the Q1, Q2 range, and then fall back to earth in Q3. So while I think there is an importance in keeping an eye on the biggest ones, it does seem to be that the overall market can be very kind of volatile itself. And so Coinbase, with a wide base of coins, which is kind of an annoying thing to say out loud, I sound like a moron, uh, <laughs> actually is probably reasonably representative of, of at least American crypto interest, because it does have a, enough of the coins that are out there that are of scale to be, um, you know, a fair look at. I want to bring up Robinhood for a second as like a quick pivot. So this week, Zach Whitaker from our team had a scoop that millions of customer names and email addresses were taken in a data breach for Robinhood, adding yet another kind of data point to its issues and potentially hurting some of its consumer trust yet again. With that context, I guess I was wondering, I don't want to dramatize it, but I also feel like Robinhood didn't need another L in this way, as they're already apparently seeing trading revenues from crypto fall from Q2 21 to Q2 2021 to Q3 2021. Yeah. So one thing we've seen uh, kind of since the start of the pandemic has been a savings and investing boom, both in North America and around the world. And one company that really did get a great boost from this was Robinhood. People signed up, they bought stocks, they did a lot of trading, they even got into options. And really, they pushed Robinhood up over the last six, seven quarters to, you know, from a small company into this public company that we now know. And in the last six, nine months, crypto revenues were a big part of that, but they have essentially collapsed at the company. So if you look at the numbers, I think they had $233 million in Q2 two crypto trading uh, revenues, and that fell to 51 million in Q3. And that was essentially just the Dogecoin, uh, I don't know, frenzy, maybe kind of falling flat in that time period. So they have showed the variability of trading revenues just as Coinbase, even though it also has variable revenues, shows how profitable it can be. Because one thing that Coinbase does do, even on a quarter when it has a sequential revenue decline, is post enormous amount of net income because Coinbase is fundamentally 
a great business. It just doesn't have the revenue growth consistency we tend to see post IPO. But no one is saying that Coinbase is, is in danger. It's incredibly cash rich and it kicks off lots of cash anyway. So it's doing fine. Um, but I think Robinhood, which is less profitable, smaller, it may be more at risk to crypto ups and downs shows that, you know, it's not exactly the most stable revenue base to build a business on, at least as it exists today. Yeah. And I think it's also worth noting that, you know, that holds true in terms of what the analysts are saying. I know that, you know, a lot of analysts are still pretty positive on Coinbase despite the earnings miss, whereas the same is not necessarily true of Robinhood. And I think that's, yeah. you know, some of them have pointed out that Coinbase has some longer term ways it can unlock value. Like I know they're planning on launching an NFT platform and, you know, expanding into certain areas. So you have to put a $5 in the swear jar for saying NFT on the show. <laughs> Can I like bring up, I want to bring up like a separate NFT point. This is kind of off topic, but Brian Armstrong just made headlines for saying that he thinks NFTs will be big as big or bigger than crypto trading in the future. Well, I, I, NFTs, I think I've proven this year to have sufficient staying power and kind of market interest to be, quote, a thing versus ICOs, which seem to have kind of a, a, an immense boom and then a even sharper crash. And have essentially kind of gone the way of the buffalo, at least as far as we conceived of them before. So I'm fine with people who have a large amount of sway in the crypto market making headlines based on crypto projections that, that could be material. Now, if Coinbase wasn't getting into NFTs, I would care much less what Brian Armstrong says about them or thinks about them. But because this is part of their product roadmap that they've, you know, kind of made clear, uh, I care a lot, frankly, because, you know, as we've discussed on the show previously, um, one of their shared backers, Anderson Horowitz, is also an investor in OpenSea, the current leading NFT platform. But I want to bring us back a little bit to the uh, the Robinhood Coinbase differential, which is that, you know, Coinbase has shown a great willingness or great ability to have its consumers essentially be willing to pay higher fees for what they construe as better service. And I wonder if that constitutes a, a moat of some sort, Anita, around their business that could prove more defensible as other companies take on Coinbase, because certainly in the Robinhood case, we're seeing a great number of companies around the world offer free trading and along similar lines. And I wonder if Robinhood has a similar sort of staying power uh, as Coinbase. Yeah. I mean, I know that in terms of crypto trading, fees across the board are generally pretty high. And I feel that, you know, if invest retail investors, I think like just want access to crypto and they want access in an easy way that's simple, that makes sense to them. And so I don't think that fees are actually as much of a consideration for a lot of these investors as one might think. And that's actually one of the things that a Coinbase investor, somebody who backed Coinbase as a VC, told me around, I think it was actually on their direct listing day. I was like, look, aren't we going to see fee compression at Coinbase, given that there is a, a rising number of companies offering essentially zero cost crypto purchasing? And and he said, no, and I'm not not saying his name because I don't want to. I'm not saying because I forget who it was. I think it was, it was some big name at some big firm. I talked to a lot of VCs. I forget who this one was. And I didn't buy it at the time. I thought it was actually overly bullish about Coinbase, someone talking their book, as we say. But it seems to have held up. So maybe he was right. It's interesting, too, that like no platforms, at least obviously, it seems like have had have felt pressure to lower their fees to, in order to get more users. Like it seems like they are aware that it's education that's the biggest hamper to people investing, not so much. So like the money it takes to invest, I'm sure both play a role, but it's interesting that no one's, no one's like there's not like that race to the end, right, that we see in what? so many other industries. Well, we, we, we might see a little bit of that. I think you're right so far, Natasha. I mean, we haven't seen Coinbase dropping their prices every three months in response to changing market conditions. So I totally agree with you there. But it will be curious to see what FTX does because FTX has raised a zillion dollars and they sponsored every single sports thing in the world, including Formula One and like an NBA team and all sorts of stuff. And they 
pitch on their homepage up to 85% lower fees than their competitors. So if they can match Coinbase's technology, which is the ability to stake and so forth and do kind of other intra crypto things, maybe they will be able to force Coinbase to shake up its model. But I don't think it's going to happen in the near term. So if I was an investor in the public markets who bought individual stocks, and I don't because I'm a journalist, I think that would be something that I would keep an eye on, frankly. But again, Coinbase is just ripping cash out of the crypto economy on a quarter by quarter basis in a way that really goes to show that it's a great company. And that's that's why, circling back to our original question about Wall Street and crypto, I'm surprised at how surprised Wall Street was because Coinbase even presaged this by saying, we're going to have lower crypto revenues in Q3. And then they did. And everyone was like, boo. And it, it seemed like a uh, they, they told you so. Why didn't you know better? I was just thinking about the the question of fees a little bit and just thinking about, you know, I think Coinbase is in a position where they have an advantage because they've just been around for so long and they have some name recognition. Like, I think their customers are pretty sticky and just, you know, anecdotally speaking, like hearing about people who want to get into crypto investing Coinbase, at least in the US, you know, for a lot of people, it's the first name that kind of comes to mind. So even though some of these other startups are rolling out crypto features and access, like I know Public recently introduced it as well. I think that, you know, because Coinbase was sort of one of the first movers in this space that they that's part of why people are willing to overlook the fees. And I think part of that goes to the fear that people have of investing in crypto. So there's a lot of education and information that's being shared word of mouth. You know, you talk to your friends about it and ask them, what are they doing? And I think because Coinbase has sort of built up that credibility a little bit earlier on that that has been benefiting them. I want to end with like just a question about how this impacts startups, because of course, this is equity. And so many of our listeners are from the private markets world. And I'm Anita, because you talked about your inbox and all the pitches that you're getting, I would love for to first ask you, like, as you're seeing these pre-seed early stage startups pitch to you in the crypto space, they obviously have Coinbase as either a North Star or a competitor to be aware of. What are some of like the similarities you're seeing in their pitches or at least like things that are striking out to you when you say yes or no to covering them? Yeah, I think it's really hard. Like there's a lot of noise out there in, in the crypto space and, you know, everyone's launching a platform. Everyone's integrating the blockchain into their existing products already. And so it's really tough to to actually cut through the noise. And I mean, this this might sound a little basic, but honestly, I, I think how many users that you have and like the reach for some of these startups like that really matters it, because that's the only way that you can really cut through the noise. A lot of people in the crypto world are really excited about it and they'll talk to each other about it. But I think what differentiates a product for me is seeing like, you know, you're able to grow your user base past people who are just deep in this sort of crypto web three universe to, you know, maybe more so the average investor. On the other side of that, I had a call this week with a crypto focused founder and i can't talk about what they're doing until next week so i guess read TechCrunch next week but um this was a project that was all the way kind of like deep in the weeds of the crypto world it's not even going to come out for a year it's still in like essentially like building mode okay. and i got to kind of see a little bit of what's coming down the road for like intra crypto economy mechanics and it's super cool and so like i think that when we're talking about coinbase and we're talking about these trading platforms it's really like the absolute first door in a long hallway that is crypto. Like this is just the opening salvo of what this stuff can be if the tech works out as people expect that it's going to. And so it's cool to talk about these companies, but I think we're still uh, on the on the nascent side of things. So, you know, I mean, the fact that Coinbase is still doing basically 20% of its trading volume and transaction revenues from Bitcoin, I think goes to show how early we still are because Bitcoin isn't that good of a blockchain. <laughs> Frankly, uh, don't get at me, Bitcoin maximalist. But I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, wait, Alex, you just ruined your DMs. There's, for a, there's the rest a lot of, of work. To, there's a lot of work to do, and, and we're excited about it. Um, 
I think just to cap us off, we're going to be tracking these companies and their crypto revenues and even companies like Square that generate quite a lot of revenues from Bitcoin transactions as a way to kind of get a, a good vibe for at least domestic crypto interest, which will, of course, feed into our startup coverage uh, as a whole. And then two housekeeping notes before Alex signs us off. This will be in our podcast feed, so don't be surprised when you see it on Equity wherever you listen to podcasts. And then we also have another podcast that we have to give a shout out to found. We love you. And you are killing the game with interviewing founders before um, they even make headlines on TC. Anita, thank you for coming on. Thank you for joining TC. We were very excited to, uh, to hear that you were coming aboard and uh, now you have to come back on the show all the time. So I'm sorry to let you know that you have now been um, brought, <laughs> brought on. So tough. <laughs> no, thank you so much. Everyone's going to have to hear my, hear my voice again, hopefully. It's great. That works for us. All right, listen, happy Friday, everybody. Have a great weekend. Don't work too much. It is nearly the holiday period. So no more news. Goodbye. <laughs>